0: Welcome to episode 202. Today, we welcome back church planner, pastor, and podcaster, our friend Dave Berge. He shares about his experience leading his Minneapolis church through the pandemic, George Floyd, and more. That's today on The Reclaimed Leader.
1: Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now... Here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 202 of the Reclaim Leader, equipping churches for turnaround change. I'm Jason Tucker, here again with
2: Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? You know, Jason, it's been a crazy week and you all have stuff going on in our lives and, and clearly as we navigate through you know, this unprecedented moment in history, there's just a lot that uh, comes at us. And so we're, we're doing our best to figure out how, how do we lead in the local church in the midst of the circumstances we face. And so um, I'm really grateful for the conversations we get to have, Jason. And today we have, um, I guess we could still call Dave a, a friend. I don't know Dave, uh, how you feel about us, but we, can, we think of you that way. I
1: hope so. I, I hope we're still friends.
0: Yeah, so Dave Berge, lead pastor at Resurrection Minneapolis and a successful podcaster, Like Trees Walking, was featured in an email that I saw from the Rethink conference. They're like, oh, it was sort of like uh, an, an addendum or like this section of the email of like interesting things that they're looking at. And your podcast was on there, Dave. So I don't know what, you're definitely internet famous. Um, I mean, let's just say that I co-host it with someone who is a
1: minor celebrity and i am really riding those coattails
2: very hard
0: (laughs) no your podcast is great um everyone after you listen to this episode go to to find like trees walking it's very thoughtful and entertaining and fun and i just um i think it's great so anyway we are glad to have dave on i mean 202 episodes in and uh i think you're our three-time guest now uh, on third, the podcast. Third, Let's go. Third appearance. Third appearance them. for sure.
1: I'm thrilled to be back.
0: So, so happy to have you. And, you know, as we've been having some conversations, by the way, you're the first guest in a while. I feel like we've been sort of in uh, dungeon mode, <laughs> the two of us just like <laughs> cranking right. out cranking out podcast episodes. But it's, we really were interested in having you on for a lot of reasons, but especially because you you and your church were and are at the epicenter of a lot of what went down, particularly with the George George Floyd situation and all of the rioting and the defund the police and all the things that have happened. Um, your church is right there. I mean, you are feeling the impacts of that all the time and, and, you know, kind of on top of that, how are you dealing with that and COVID and everything? So we thought today we're just going to have a conversation with Dave and Jesse and I and talk about uh, a little bit about Dave and his story and his church and a bit about what we're all working on right now. And hopefully uh, pastors and friends out there listening will, will get a lot out of it. So Dave, welcome back. And again, we'd love to hear, you know, take us back, maybe give us a little context on your church for those who don't remember and, uh, you know, where you're located and, and what's up? And then a bit about what happened. Take us back to lockdown, and then about a month later.
1: Yeah, ha- happy to do that. So, um, yeah, because I think so. Uh, we're kind of experiencing a, you know, we're in the crucible, you know, uh, like you said. So, yeah, my congregation, we are in the city of Minneapolis um, proper. So we're right, right in the heart of the city, not in the downtown area. We're in basically a mixed residential neighborhood, kind of a area that's always in transition, that it has a good mix of single family homes and also apartments and duplexes, fourplexes, rental properties and stuff. So it's right on the edge of a real hip happening or what was a real uh hip happening part of town. Uh we're also we're close very close to what's called in Minneapolis the chain of lakes, which are really nice kind of the crown jewel of the city itself. People love to get out there and recreate and everything like that. So we're we're in a really um really great neighborhood, you know, no parking lot, but, uh, what, what can you do? Um, we're, <laughs> uh, we're also about, and so our, you know, my, my congregation is also kind of a, it's a, a cooperative partnership between a, a evangelical covenant church and a Presbyterian church, USA, uh, a church. And so kind of that, uh, you know, kind of that mainliney, uh, evangelicalism, uh, uh, that uh, many, that, that some of us uh, have come from and, and been reared from. So that's sort of where we're situated. And then we're about a mile and a half from uh, the intersection 38th and Chicago, where on May 25th of 2020, George Floyd uh, died um, following the, you know, Derek Chauvin uh, being on his neck for however long it was a eight, 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 nine minutes. And that video really, really coming out on the 26th. So the, the incident itself was on Memorial day on the 25th, but it, and it started leaking out that night, but kind of came to the it went viral, I think, really on the 26 and people became aware of it. And then people started in Minneapolis, started gathering for demonstrations, which slowly built up into what turned into some pretty crazy riding. So all that to say, which impact definitely impacted work. We're, we're kind of on the very peripheral of the blast radius. So it's something where you. Yeah, you didn't get hit by the, um, you know, you didn't get hit by the explosion, but when everything was exploded, you were, you were like kind of just right on the edge outside. It's sort of what feels like where we were in that sense. But, you know, so we go back and COVID hits and, and those of us serving in ministry have that experience of just the world changing so quickly, uh, crisis mode, decisions need to be made. What are we going to do? And so we were very, we were able to pivot. We pivoted basically to 100 online, and and I had a strong sense that this was going to be a long slog. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that I thought it would be this long. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not a, a clairvoyant, but when the the there was a kind of a lockdown here um, that the governor ordered in March, and I thought, well, I was like, this is going to last, and he's like, eight weeks, blah blah, blah. and so. Some churches communicated, kind of, we're taking it week by week, and we just said we're not going to be meeting in person till after this happens. And so, we at the outset were, I think, trying to set realistic expectations for people about what all this meant, and I think that that has been a strong point for us. We were able to mobilize some of our medical people to form a task force, and also people in other positions of institutional leadership, like schools, to form a task force. To I think ended up crafting in that task force. Approach has ended up serving us well, even in the Floyd area era. In terms of some people to set some basic principles for us to help us make decisions, so we're not always feeling like the crisis. Yeah, you know, so some basic principles for us were just we decided we're not going to be more or less restrictive than the public health mandates say. So in the city of Minneapolis, there was a mask mandate that did not get removed until uh, this June. So that's when we lifted it, and once it was lifted, CDC recommended. You know, and we said, we str- we follow their strong recommendations. And so, and just setting expectations that in a context like ours, you're probably going to see maybe almost everyone wearing them. So just so you know that, um, yeah. we, we, we strongly recommend it. And so that really has served us well, but. You know, as we entered into that, you were just reeling I felt like for me, there was the initial crisis kind of like all hands on deck. And then I felt exhausted, mm-hmm. Because it was just so hard to adapt to a new reality, and I have three ki- three kids, school age, younger school age, so the the schools closed, and that was extremely hard um, for us. My kids are not like; they're the kids who will take the iPad or the computer and go to YouTube. They're not like I'm going to go to Google Classroom and and um, use this as a learning tool. Like they need constant supervision. So my like it was a complete nightmare to try to do my job and to try to parent and to try to educate i felt like um even you know early on after the initial rush there was this feeling like we i'm failing in every area of my life <laughs> yeah
2: yeah
0: <laughs> it, it, it it i mean i i feel like we all felt that on some level and it was just and it was exhaustion after exhaustion it felt like there was no Break. There was some other important round of decisions that need to be made constantly. There was no kind of like, oh, okay, set it and forget it for a little while. Yeah. There wasn't any of that. And the, you know, I think the the weight of leadership felt very heavy, particularly when when we were all locked down. I don't know if you experienced this, but it felt like then yeah. then all of a sudden, all these things that other people were doing landed onto my plate somehow in the sense of I either had to have my hands on it or I was doing it. And that had its own pressure as well, you know? So uh, it was tough. I really suffered emotionally more than I thought I would in the first six months for sure. But we're not even at George Floyd yet. So I remember, you know, we're, we're all, you know, we had just gotten through Easter in that beginning part of April and, uh, another another month, right? Almost to Memorial Day, and everybody's tired. Were you getting at this point any pushback, or or were your folks pretty much of one mind? Like, yeah, we need to be locked down. Like, this makes sense.
1: Yeah, No, there was really good harmony in the sense of we're making the right decisions. It also so ha- just so happened that we had a major building project happening in our building um to put an elevator in that so we were moving into this capital project. First like biggest thing we've ever done, first time in really deck of major project that's taken place at, you know, at, at, for our facility for like 60 years. And it so like kind of the time you look for silver linings where you find them. Actually it would have been so disruptive to try to have people meeting in a quasi regular manner that it allowed the construction to continue, like start. And I had no idea what I was signing up for in the sense of like, just how everything was just dusty and torn apart and, and wild. So in that sense, it was like, okay, um, this is actually ending up working out for the best for our particular circumstances. Cause I don't know how we would be working around this. And so it, it, it also kind of made it easier too. In that there was just saying like, yep, this is happening. So no, no pressure. People were united. Like it it, it was all good in that sense. I wasn't feeling any pushback or anything like that.
2: Yeah. And Jason, did you, cause we had this similar graciousness. I think there was a lot of graciousness from our congregation in the early days. that they knew we were working hard in some ways, our life simplified. It was exhausting. There were all the decisions were landing on our plate as the leaders. What I found too, is there just wasn't the room to really f- process on my own either because, you know, as, as the key communicators as well, we're coming up with content and we're making all these leadership decisions and now there's other layers of production. And so to find the space to just breathe and think and be a human being amidst everything going on was, wasn't as present uh, for us, I think. But um, Jason, well, how was it for you guys? Were, was there pushback from your congregation early on or were you guys kind of one mind?
0: Not at first. Not at first. I felt... Honestly, and this is you know kind of where we're going next. Honestly, it felt like that couple of weeks around George Floyd was when it all turned. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it was like one major emotional issue. Too many after yeah. all of the pent up whatever, you know, baggage from that the pandemic had piled up. It, it, I mean, it was just a powder keg and. And I will say, I do want to make sure that the listeners understand that anything I talk about around what happened with George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, defund the police, I, I want to separate the very real and important issues that those that, that time brought up that we should have been talking about for a very long time. I'm you know talking about several linings. I think there's some really important race and um, disparity issues. Uh, you know, but socioeconomic disparity. And I, I just, I think there are some very important issues that I don't want to lose in this conversation, but the way in which everything literally just sort of blew up is, I think, the thing that we're talking about. I just want to make that distinction before we before we continue. But for us, it was when George Floyd happened, I had felt like I needed to deliver a sermon about it and to talk about racism. And I am not a political animal in the sense that I, I re- rarely, if ever, mention any political anything in my messages be- because our church is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very purple church, as they say. But it felt like with the world on fire and this major issue happening, I needed to say it. And it was that sermon where I started to get pushback. It, and 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 then it, it, that was sort of like a tipping point. And then the summer was like, I heard from not a large group of people, but enough people that really made it difficult on me in the decisions we were making as a church. But um, I'm sure that paled in comparison to what you experienced. So Dave, what what happens? George Floyd happens. Is there an immediate response? Hey, how do we respond? Should we be worried? Do we need to board up the windows? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Take, take us yeah. back there
1: yeah, so I'll take you back so once you and i I actually did not watch the video till the night before i and I did preach this i it was pe- I, I wove it into um, my Pentecost sermon just talking about how kind of what was happening in Minneapolis was almost a counter Pentecost because you had noise and you had flames and um it, it, but you have a vision on the one hand of what those are supposed to lead to and then you have the a counter vision that wants to burn and destroy everything. I said, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to burn our way to a better Minneapolis. You know, that's just not going to happen. We, our attention has been awakened. Uh, there's all those quotes being thrown around, you know, the, the riot is the language of the uh, unheard. Uh, and I said, now you can listen. You might not like what you hear, or you might think what you're hearing, it, what you hear might not be coherent, which is also a message to hear in and of itself. So w- w- what, what happened was, I felt like I'm thinking probably by Wednesday or Thursday of that week. And I am, I, I am basically like almost in my soul, the very fiber of my being. I hate making statements. I, mm-hmm. um, I despise pronouncements because they are so, they're basically like just empty almost all the time. I, I hate them. I, 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 I hate almost every denominational statement that ever comes out. Um, I, I I just am so against them. I don't sign statements. I don't, I like, I just don't like that. I, 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 that's just who I am. I'm not, I'm not into that. Not at all. And so, but I just felt like, my gosh, what we were seeing and what was happening required some kind of statement. So the associate passion myself wrote an email, we sent it out, um, just given what, what we saw happening. And, um, and then so like there was this outcrying against the injustice of, of, you know what people were seeing and then the tension the city was just it it started to boil and it boiled to the point of it boiled over Th- things were out of control um you know it started as as basically kind of demonstrations and protests and and you actually had this double dynamic you had people demonstrating uh, basically during the day there was what you would think of as demonstrations protesting the type of things that are you know constitutionally protected and just such an important part of um, our civ- the response of our civil society to something like this. And then once the night hit, a very kind of different element came out. And that was the destructive, riotous uh, thing where you had a bunch of these, um, you know, these, you had basically like kind of Antifa types and people will laugh at that. Well, like those people actually exist. These kind of anarchist, when I say that, they're kind of like black block anarchist type of people who want to mi- mix stuff up with just, Like, why do people riot? I think one thing I've come down to is like, because it's fun. One, it's fun. Like if you were ever a teenager or like got involved in something like, you know, it's just sort of like you're in a pandemic world. All of a sudden, like you have permission to almost do anything you want. And so there's like, there's kind of just, there was just a spirit of like, you could do whatever you wanted. You could go into a target and take anything. You could burn a building down. Like, man, that there was just this, there was. Like this dark glee and joy taking place and people doing it, and they had the cover of like this being a righteous sort of a cause. and um the the two to me were almost completely distinct from one another the 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 the, the calls for action and the uh, and the riotous destruction were two distinct things and and the fools were the people who were in the first category or put themselves in the first category. Trying to offer some kind of cover or apology for those who are in the second category. That's where they made a huge mistake um, in terms of connecting what they were doing in terms of demonstrating and protesting to what other people who were doing at like, which was just basically pretextually related to what was happening. But I mean, there were I was getting emails about that churches might be attacked. That didn't happen. There's so much fog of war and rumor mongering. You don't know what's what, but we had a curfew by the church. multiple businesses were robbed, broken into. Um, fires were started. So like when I say we're on the edge of the blast radius, like w- there were some shrapnel bits that did kind of land around. And so I cannot describe to you the, the scent, the eerie sense of just fear, um, and terror and the sense things were going out of control. I mean, the third precinct was burned to the ground. Like there was just this sense that we were almost in anarchy. It was almost like Mad Max, like get your, uh, get your, get your guns and your posse together and like, you know, keep people out. It, it, it was, it, there was such a, there was so much of a fear of other people. It was, it was awful. It was, I cannot describe it as anything other than like this almost like demonic, dark, oppressive, uh, a feeling that came over the city. Um, and you know, that's, that was sparked by this, um, you know, horrific, uh, and and tragic killing. And so, I mean, there was issuing the statement, but then there was a, like people, the only pushback I got, which was like, are you okay with rioting? You know, which I felt like I've always been totally clear and unequivocal in my, uh, in my statements. Like, no, I don't support that at all. I think it's horrible. Um, but it like this, the city just lost its mind is all it's our collective mind was just absolutely lost in that moment and we haven't like and my gosh i mean things have have returned to normal in so many ways but we're still so shaken because there were so so many other events that then happened, right so you have the trial um you have another killing not in minneapolis but in a neighboring suburb dante Wright, you know that woman that she pulled her gun instead of her taser that was the worst possible timing there was another death actually very close to us. Um, this person was being chased down, but for, you know, allegedly they had committed a crime with a gun. There's no body cam. They got shot. Uh, that like Winston Smith, I think was his name. Like that sparked another round of of, mm-hmm. of rioting. I mean, there was even riding last summer. I was out of town, um, but someone murdered someone and then committed suicide. And the police were standing around them when they committed suicide. And rioting started breaking out in a very minor scale downtown Minneapolis. And so they released the video footage of this person committing suicide. So like I, I talked to someone who said, like, I've seen enough snuff films in my life, like of people dying or mm. being harmed or killing themselves. And so it, it 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 just this this climate of of I mean, just this very tumultuous climate has it is very present to where we are now. And the church is 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 a part of that
0: how how did you i mean this is so it's so much to experience and and i would imagine in a way you're you're reacting and maybe not even able to process everything you just go into survival mode but how how do you then as a pastor dealing with your own anxiety over the situation how do you Kind of bring the gospel to bear in the lives of of your people in this moment it, was it was it such that it was very clear um, sort of a, as you were saying kingdom versus anti kingdom behavior that it actually brought clarity in some respects, or do you think it was just sort of like you're just trying to talk everybody down from Full out panic. I mean, how did you? What was your posture toward you know with with the people with whom the Lord's kind of put under your care?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the very clear distinction between kingdom and kingdom that's very easy to draw for me. And 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 the unfortunate thing is, and I didn't really see this in my own congregation so much. Um, as I saw kind of on social media circles, like people who were justifying things that were destroying my city. Um, and I was really disturbed. I was actually, it was a real eye-opening experience to me to see how people would, um, cause and this sort of sense that somehow, like if you are against, uh, behavior that like destroys the very communities that you're purporting to want to uplift and help. That somehow that is like a complicity in the murder of George Floyd. I thought that was just an absolutely unfair and really disgusting conflation of the two events. And, and that truly like a, a call to racial justice, um, like that, that, that's, that's not it. Whatever we're seeing there is not it. So that doesn't absolve us of the responsibility to, to focus on these other things to say, we're going to have to focus on them. Um, cause that's a distraction. If we get focused on, um, That being involved in all that other stuff, the apologizing for riots, uh, it limit you know, police abolition. That's not like a, um, oh, this is a scary concept out there in Minneapolis. That's something that we could be voting on this fall 2021. So, like, these things all got very real. And I said, you know, the for me, I felt a very clear posture of saying that activity and action over there is not going to get us where we want to go. And we don't really want to be about that. So, let's find another way to be about this work that, you know, we, and I mean, that we've been awakened to, but in some ways, like, I think has taken on a new sense of urgency. Cause it's not like as a church, even there was a, there was another one of these shootings, not in Minneapolis, but a a gentleman named Philando Castile. He was shot by a cop a few years ago in a neighboring suburb. And it was a horrible situation. Um, And I uh, really tried to engage around these issues, not, but not with the same sense of urgency at that point in time. And I actually, in college was a African-American studies minor um, so a lot of this stuff, like are these are things I've really been thinking about for a long time. And I guess it's for such a time as this. And I, and I was part of another conversation with other pastors before, um, a couple of whom were black and just saying like, you know, for me, I guess the, the, the privilege I had was like that, yes, I could go, these are important, but they're not issues of racial justice and reconciliation are important. I would always say that, but for me, they weren't urgent. And so to me, it, it woken me to a new sense of urgency, but to try to engage in this in a way that is just not some kind of like Christian parody of, uh, or copying of what the world is doing. And so, and thankfully the church has so many resources to draw upon. I mean, if you think about the modern civil rights movement, probably the greatest like moral revolution in our country's history was, I mean, it was led by Christians. So like, we've kind of like got to pick up the mantle or we're invited to, I mean, I'm a Protestant too. We're, we're going back ad fontes, go back to the, go back to the sources. Let's go back there. As opposed to like one of the pressures of our society today is that we live in a very, like, if it wasn't published 10 months ago or 10 minutes ago, it's old, it's outdated, it's dumb, it's stupid. Um, and to me, it's like, man, no, 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 no. We got to go back to the stuff that was a real deal that really affected social change as opposed to the trendy um, stuff that to me is just not, not super helpful, not super engaging. So I guess like, where I found the tension was, I think that it, some people are much more interested in kind of the, and I'll just name names like the Robin DiAngelo, Ibram Kendi version of things. Uh, but then there's, but versus the like, um, versus the kind of modern civil rights movement, which came out of things like you know the 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 work and writing of King. And actually, what we saw was a after King's success, there was a, a sharp break and a sharp move it's kind of a more radical chic posture. Um, and like, I see some of what BLM is as a continuation of that in terms of like tactics and rhetoric, um, and everything like that. And this appeal to a kind of like Christian universalistic Christian humanism, um, is to me, like we, we, we've got to get back towards something like that if we're going to get forward uh, together and, and i understand the radical position i mean you listen to the autobiography you read the autobiography of malcolm x you'll know why he didn't want anything to do with the society um and so we hear and receive that critique and don't just react against it but we also go you know what the the the, the, the promise of this society is even greater than the problems we're facing
0: did you see dave did you see um you know again i guess this would fall in the silver linings category i mean when when the protests were were happening even here in our area there there were some really i think both symbolic and real attempts to connect white and black churches and um white and black local pastors and um that at least for me personally had been very like I'm seeing a lot of hope. I'm like, you know, this has caused us to engage in a way that we can just sort of ignore because we're so busy in our own stuff previously. But now it seems to have taken on a a sense of urgency that just wasn't there before. And there were some really wonderful connections over the last year and a half that have happened just here with on a personal level, with other other pastors of Black churches in the area, have you did you see that in Minneapolis? Was there an intentional reach across the racial divide for Christians, or was it so, or, or was that hard to just sort of hard to accomplish in the with all the different uh, complexities of it?
1: Um, there, there was definitely some movements towards that, and I think that probably what you will see going forward is that 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 this was a, this, this was a real push and awakening of a sense of urgency. Now, uh, the, the Minneapolis city itself is extremely like segregated in the sense of like, you know, what parts of town people live in. And so like, it's about kind of, it's, it's, it's forcing people to have to cross some like geographical uh, divides, you know, than anything and enter into other places. And so, and, and our approach as a church is we said, well, this, if this is important, we want to set ourselves up for like sustainable engagement versus like the reactionary, like, or not reactionary. I think a small step to engage with someone is good. I'm never going to criticize that. And so I don't, I actually don't want to be critical. If someone just did a small gesture, that's fine. So for us, do we feel called to more? Yes. Um, And so what does that look like is, so we, we set up a task force to say what is like a kind of a, a grounded, a biblically theologically rooted grounded, um, uh, kind of sustainable long-term engagement and trajectory look like in this area for us. And so we took a year, um, to, we had a task force that, that took a year to look at some of these questions and unpacking, how have we been engaged? How could we be engaged? What's our local context look like? What does the Bible have to say to this? And what are some kind of directions that we feel like maybe as a leadership, we could recommend to leadership to move in for the future. And so that's what we felt like that's kind of long-term sustainable action. Yes, we want a, a launch on this journey. We, we need to get started somewhere, but we also want this to be like long. If we're going to make a commitment, we want it to be something more long-term. And so I think that's where I think a lot of churches felt um, that initial draw, right? Where I think you see the conflict enter. And I, I think there was conflict probably entered in over like riots are bad versus riots are understandable. I don't think, I mean, a few people said they were good. Some people were more apologizing for them, but then what you saw the rise of is then as people wanted to engage in this as a started using some of the resources that were on offer that were much more steeped in this kind of, you know, critical studies perspective, you know, CRT, the the critical race theory, uh, 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 you know, approach or framing of things as that kind of was seen to predominate, that became in and of itself polarizing and became the issue is what do we do with CRT versus what do we do about racial justice and reconciliation? I think there's a lot of And understandably, once you engage with CRT, if you try to make that your primary framework for understanding these things, it's extremely divisive. And there's going to be lots of people who go like, no, I'm really not, like, I'm not interested in this at all. And so how do we, like, not allow, for us, how do we not allow that type of conversation to become the thing that we're, sort of engaged in is, uh, is CRT. Yeah. Let's evaluate, like let's evaluate critical race theory from a Christian perspective, because we could do that. And at the end of the day, it hasn't moved the ball down the field at all. Um, and in fact, it's just been a distraction. So it's like, how do we engage? Because the call to racial justice for reconciliation, that's kingdom work, right? That we're part of a multi-ethnic movement of God's people. And so how can we better reflect that in our ministry and our life together? That's what I feel called to, because yeah, it's like it is not a witness to who Jesus is to just kind of go about our business separately segregated. And so how can, how can we become more integrated in our ministry and in our work and coordinated so that brothers and sisters across all races and ethnicities are um, bearing witness by our work together to who this Jesus is.
0: Yeah. I mean, so at what point did you take a nap? That's right, <laughs> Dude,
1: I, I felt like I got no naps, man. Like yeah, I, got, yeah. I, 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 and I, I'll tell you what, like, because you know, last summer I was just done. We went on a great family vacation, which was like the one normal thing we did last year mm-hmm. and 2020, it felt so good. But even right before that I had to let, I had to fire someone, um, like for something very bad, not related to the church happened years before but I still had to deal with that, and it was really—it was just—it was just like a yucky thing where it's like, oh great, this is another kind of crummy thing I need to deal with. And you know, there's been just I think real high angst and anxiety, even for me around like yeah, how we engage in this, and like not wanting to um, be misunderstood, and feeling like I—it's almost unavoidable. Like people are not, people aren't understanding not the tightrope that we're trying to walk, but just like the let's not lose our minds. Let's look at things as different approaches come to us. um, We can critically appraise them and evaluate them without freaking out. And the tendency that I, that, that I have to fight against in myself. And I think for some other people in our setting is like, our like capacity to just turn everything up to 11 and To go back to the place of crisis that we've been in frequently, like it's, people are returning to that. Well, I am, and I see it in some other people going back to that place much more quickly than we used to before when, Mm -hmm. when the, I guess the water is at like 180 degrees. And so it gets to boil real quick. And it's like, how do we just lower the temperature? And in doing that, we're not losing, we're not like sacrificing passion. You know what I mean? Like yeah. but there's somehow this conflation between like, um, sort of like being passionate equals like being sort of on the edge of like control almost, you know, yeah. yeah.
0: our last episode, we, we talked a bit about that. Um, Stetzer's book Christians in the age of outrage was, was really a, uh, a foundation for a sermon series. I just started with, with our folks here, um, and you know, we just had one kind of one installment of the series and it was, it was the most that I can remember where people afterwards, I mean, there were some like visibly with tears in their eyes and there was one who said, pastor, that's not the sermon that I wanted to hear today, but it's the sermon that I needed to hear. And it really, it struck a nerve because I think everybody's feeling it. It's like it outrages mm-hmm. the next available emotion all the time. Um, and so so what does it look like for us to ratchet the outrage down and maybe think a little bit more about how do we engage with the love of Christ in a way that's redemptive even in the middle of the outrage and it doesn't mean you can't get angry but it means well maybe maybe doing something a little more constructive with the anger or at least at least being self-reflective enough to say let's listen before i jump engage in this social media thread maybe i ought to just real quick remember am i is this is my anger flowing out of the righteousness of god or is it flowing out of you know yeah. me
2: yeah. and I, uh, yeah there's a real weariness too i think that people have right now that not only leaders but just an exhaustion around the temperature being so high for so long it just you know it, it kind of it wears you down wears you out and so You know, one of the thoughts that we've been talking about, too, is how do we be a place of rest for each other rather than where that we turn the temperature up for each other? You know, uh, we were looking at this verse, you know, where Jesus says, come to me, everybody who's weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And how can we be Christ's presence, giving each other a place of rest in the midst of the outrage? And even if you're not like people, some people aren't the ones who are actively posting, but they're reading it. They're engaging with it in their mind, and so man, you're, we're all getting worn out and exhausted by it, whether we're active or passive participants in the, in the outrage. So, it's tough. Um, so, Dave, yeah, I, you,
1: yeah, go ahead. No, no, go. Ask me. Ask me your question. Ask me. No, question. I think
2: I was just going to kind of turn the conversation now as you navigated through this whole year. Now we're, you know, I, it's just I'm sitting here kind of spellbound listening to you talk about the experience in Minneapolis and how you navigated through that. I mean, it's just. Um, so many good things in there that you were offering uh, us as kind of food for thought. And so let's pick your brain now about what you guys are doing now, not just, uh, you know, on the sort of the, the race front and, and navigating that, but now as the pandemic lingers and you're still trying to bring a community together and move forward, what's that look like right now for you guys and what what's your, your approach?
1: Well, yeah, we're obviously not where we want to be. And, and I think a really, Import so I'll make the point I was gonna make before you ask me the question, which I think yeah. plays into this, is like, yeah, that basically like and people have seen that documentary, the social or not that what was the one it was like there's the social network, which I think was like the social the dilemma. Movie, the social dilemma. dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. And you just go like there you're the product is you, right? And so you're and it's your attention, and the way you get someone's attention is to make them mad. And like it actually only these mediums play on the most like anti-social tendencies that we have and actually they they appeal to the unhealthiest aspects within us and i'm going to say this unhealthy people and so um normies like here's the problem with, with social media normies are very turned off by like people oversharing and saying all these outlandish opinions however Normies also feel despair because they're like, oh my gosh, is this just what everyone thinks? Because like, I'm not willing to share, I'm not willing to share my sane opinion because I don't want to like hear from insane people and I don't want to engage in it. And I just don't have time for that. But like, so you, you can almost, it's like this very perverted sense of like what people actually think by what you see on social media can be very, and I think it can be very discouraging to see that and think that predominates. And there's just the silent majority out there of normies who are not, who, who have not lost their mind. But so it's like, how can we encourage, how can we encourage that? Where it's like, yeah, you know, around issues of race, it's like, there's so many people who think, yeah, we need to like, this has a new urgency. We need to do some things. We want people, all people to be able to, to, you know, have dignity and prosper and share um, in everything that this country has to offer in in a way that they have been denied, you know, for so many reasons. Like that is super important but I also don't think we should burn the whole thing down. And I don't think also think this is like the most God awful irredeemable place, but like, you don't get any clicks for being like, yeah, this is important. And I don't think we should destroy everything. You know what it mean? be like? So, yeah, yeah. so our, some of our social technologies, they only, they, they work best to bring out the worst, in us. So like, just, I think like, to me, understanding that and help people understand that is good. <laughs> I think for us as a church or something that I've been feeling is like, I think people have been feeling exhausted, but I'm going to say even more than people. I think, I think church leaders have been feeling like the bullseye of the target, you know, for a lot of people, for whatever reason we represent, whatever, like whatever it is they hate or are angry about or disappointed in. Like we get to the center of that target in a way that I haven't seen before. And it's not like I've had that many shots taken at me, but it's like, It's just to the point of like, here we are, we feel like we've been working so hard with going off script, off map, and like trying to speak faithfully into these issues. And like, this is what I get back. And so I think challenging the leaders who are around us, like, so our sessions, leadership teams, all that is like this question of how are we, how are we caring for each other as people in this time is, is a more important question than ever. Because if we feel like our people don't really care about us, like the people we're serving alongside really closely, if they don't care about us, then it's like, screw this, you know, like, like, if you don't care about me as a person, how I'm doing after that conversation, that email, like, and not even that from the church, but like, after my kid is like, on his iPad and not going to school, like, my God. If you don't care about me in these circumstances, like, what am I? And, and so I think just that to me, I feel a renewed call to just being like, I'm a human being. Yeah. If I'm, you're going to be your pastor leader. I, I need you to like, not coddle me and not never criticize me. That's fine. But just, I need to know that you like, that you care about me as That's a, right. as a, as a human being. If yeah. I'm going no, to continue to so lead true. in this capacity, I need yeah. that. Yeah. I need that from you.
2: Yeah. That's really good, Dave. I I do think there's that yeah that sort of slow drip of discouragement over time. You just want somebody to stand up next to you and sort of say, "Hey, we're here for you too. We care. We you know how are things going?" And we get, we gotta have that because otherwise we, you just want to go. You know what? I'm I'll go I'm gonna make widgets somewhere in some factory instead, and um, that's not where we want to end up. But that's there is that that experience of just being worn down and then. The grass that looked greener before man it starts to look really, really nice, so yeah, it's a tough road,
1: and yeah, like I don't um, so I think it's a good I think that's a really good conversation for 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 leader boards to engage in to just think of like yeah. how are you doing? you know, just that question like how are you how are you doing like um and we recognize for them to say, we recognize you've faced kind of things that we didn't. We sort of thought we were going one way and then things went totally the other way and and on multiple levels. And so we just want to like, we we just want to make sure, you know, that we see that and we appreciate that. We appreciate you. And we want to support you because they ultimately our churches want us to be the best pastors that we can be for them. Right. And so like, how can we, how can we, how can we set up things so that there's a greater
0: possibility of that
1: happening for us?
0: You know? Yeah, yep. I want to hope well, that yeah, I love it.
1: Go
2: ahead, Jason. No, I
0: was just gonna say, you just kind of hope that in the end, that this is going to to create a a healthier version of of a lot of things, including church relationships and pastoral congregational relationships and understanding, and that you know, there's there's been so much that has needed to change, and none of us knew how to change it. Mm-hmm you know, and, but to even just be able to be open enough with a congregation and say, or, or with, you know, relationship to someone in your congregation and say, listen, I, I'm okay. If if you're upset or, you know, if you need to, t- if, if you disagree on an issue or, or whatever it is, but if we don't have like a basic respect for one another, you, yeah. you probably ought to move on to another congregation. Like this is not, I, this is going to work and I'm not going to keep, and the other piece, I'm not going to keep re-engaging you in this. Yeah. You know, cause that's the thing. That's a place where I had to come with, with a couple of people is like, okay, we've been around, around this. We're just not going to do this anymore. And to be able to be comfortable in your own skin enough to do that It it, it's what I, you know, a lot of ways what we should do, but we just don't want to do because for whatever reason, we feel like it's not loving when it's, you know, it's just kind of, I don't know, we get weird about it, but I think that's really, really good and insightful and
2: helpful. Well, I think too, just, you know, this was a great reminder. We had session meeting last night and we were talking about some challenges we're facing at Marine View, 18 months into a pandemic, you know, and And so people were starting to question maybe the vision and direction or the ministry philosophy or things. And somebody just stopped and said, look at where we are 18, 19 months into this thing. We are doing well. We need to have some grace for our, for, for each other, for our church. And I am, I'm just so grateful for what God continues to do. And I was like, I just wanted to walk across the room and give them a hug because it was someone who was willing to stand up and push back against some of that, Critical voice that sometimes need to be heard, but also to just acknowledge that we've all been through something, and no wonder we're not at full steam and well oiled as we normally would be. Or as a pastor, we're drained and we're emotionally tired, and so we're not at our best, maybe where we were before. And although that's okay and probably understandable, and for someone just to be able to say it out loud in the group, it was just it was like a, a kind of a weight for me being lifted because somebody was willing to speak up and, uh, say that. So anyway, I was really grateful for that. And, um, I think maybe having people that will do that for us makes a big difference to so just wanting to keep going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I feel like my last word on all this would be just Jason, what you said is the first word. It's like, these conversations are, are so contextual about when we're talking about, um, race, racial justice, like all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what I don't want to, and, and there's so much, I think, one of the fears around talking about it is like, I'm going to be misunderstood and that misunderstanding is going to be leveraged against me to, to, to say things that I actually don't think and misrepresent my position. And so people, that's why a lot of people disengage. And so even engaging in this in the way we are, you know, it's like it, it, you, you're risking being misunderstood. And so it's like, yeah, I'm not saying this isn't important. I'm saying this is extremely important. And I'm saying, I feel that this is a calling for me in my ministry in my local church context. And at the same time, the way that events unfolded in Minneapolis, there was also just the need to kind of respond to and push back against those who literally were exploiting what happened to George Floyd to wreak great destruction and harm in the city. And it's ongoing, Um, you know, the the increase in violent crime um, is bad. It's bad for the most vulnerable people in our community. Um, and so it's like, what is like, you know, these questions? There's three young children who were shot, two of them murdered in Minneapolis. And we go, you know, they're like super important. What happened to George Floyd, we understand why it sort of grabbed the attention of the country. Like, I think like there's reasons why we can understand that the history of this country and those images and what they evoked. And at the same time, there's so many invisible people who no one will ever stop a season for a game for put a social media post out for. And so it's like, as a pastor, I feel convicted in that I'm in it for the people that no one will ever care about enough to do that. And um that's to me is like the call to long-term engagement and to say when there's not all the brands doing whatever they're doing, when there isn't this huge social pressure, are we still going to be in it? Are we still going to be about it? And how can I do that? And that's where I want to say it like with the last word is like I, I feel that conviction and that call still. As strong as ever.
0: Man, great stuff, Dave. Uh, we're gonna have to have you back. You you're just it's way too good of a conversation. <laughs> yeah, what are you
1: doing so, next week? What yeah, are you right. doing next <laughs> week? <laughs> I'm the uh I'm the third, I'm the third co
0: host. I mean, seriously, uh, man, know? we could do this for a while, but uh I know you you have to run, but I do I want to thank you so much for being on again. And um, it's always great to connect with you. And what you got coming up on your podcast? I mean, you got you, you know what's what's coming around the corner?
1: All right, so we're gonna do some. Uh, we we need to record a fresh crop, but we just actually had a couple of um uh, a couple of good conversations. One of them, uh, the the concept of and listen, I thought of your wonderful wife when I talked about this because the only people I know named Karen are great people, and uh, but the word has become a slur, and I'm and and I just want to share that I'm not okay with that for for multiple reasons, um, and so we did talk about that uh, on our show, like kind of when, like, what should our response be to kind of stereotyping and what I see as kind of a excuse for some casual misogyny. Um, so, so we definitely talked about that. I, and if you're interested in kind of what I talked about here about some of the racial justice stuff over the past year, I had some really good interviews, actually one with a guy named Peter Moscow, former Baltimore cop. He actually, and he did his PhD at Harvard. Um, he is a, such a, like a honest broker, straight shooter on these things. Uh, And then another conversation with a guy who works at a lefty kind of criminal justice think tank, Thomas Apt, who wrote a great book called Bleeding Out about just how a first urban violence is a first order problem when it comes Mm -hmm. to issues of of justice and equity. And so those are really, I thought, like just fascinating conversations where people can get exposed to some really good ideas. And so look for those in the Lake trees walking feed, um, because I think they'll inform and enlighten you on, on some of this stuff and give you a further under like, yeah, just give you some things to think about.
0: All right. Hey, thanks so much, Dave. Give our best uh, to your lovely family and uh, we will catch you next time. For a- everyone else, hey, listen, thanks for listening in. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I hope that this has really been uh, inspiring, reflective, something that you can sort of think about. I know we're all still kind of digesting what the heck just happened to us. Of <laughs> these kind of, It feels like we went in this weird time warp. Um, But uh, hopefully this sparks some things, you know, like a good sermon, it sparks some things that help you to move forward well and faithfully. And remember, as we always say, I think it's truer than ever. Ministry is hard and it's so much better when we do it together. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights,
1: interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.